the 4 o'clock football frenzy on Cofield and Company. Stanford route up in about 15. The former Raider will talk about the importance of OTAs and some of the things we've heard from some of the Raiders players as they're installing a new system. Willie's here. It's hour two of Cofield and Company. Willie Ramirez. We're at the uh, Battleborn Broadcast Center today. They're nice enough to host a Friday show for us. You're shaking your head. What's going on? By the way, we will get to a weird story last night. Um, so- actually, it was no, it was from a. It was yesterday, yeah. Weird story again with a longtime uh, baseball analyst, Jim Cott, throwing out something that a lot of people feel is offensive. But we'll get to that uh, around the fat pack. What's going on? What were you just shaking your head? I at? have a baseball ball. You're speaking of baseball. So, uh, of course, everybody's having fun. Everybody's got to be a comedy and be the first one to tweet or quote tweet as if nobody else is going to think of this. But uh, Tommy Pham just went yard over the center field wall. Right. So what do you think everybody's saying about it? What did he do to the ball? Well, he really slapped that one. Right. Anyway. Smacked a home run. Smacked a home run. You know, I thought of you and – when the first when we were talking about we really started getting into when we knew the details about fantasy football with Tommy Pham and the beginning of that story was you and I were on the air and we just knew there was an altercation before a Giants Reds game and you had sent out as the AP guy a note that said you know Pham in an altercation you know Pham a Vegas native Durango High School and you got some negative feedback from someone so I wonder how they reacted to. People both backing and crushing fam. He backed off. Uh, it's, 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 the person did. I don't mind. I don't mind saying who. Because well, we were joking. It's, it's a father son duo that owned that owns a major baseball facility in town. Oh, okay. When Tommy Fam, a lot. Here's the thing, and I'm not making excuses for what Tommy did. If you don't know his background, Google his name in USA Today. There's a story from several years ago. Tommy Fam grew up with his father in prison. His mother, it was very t- rough childhood. At one point in time, he lived with Alan Vino Ramirez here in Las Vegas. They owned the batter up facility right. in North Las Vegas and blah, blah, blah. So they're going to defend him. They're going to defend him. They know what I mean, he's going I think, I think And he did go through struggles. Now, yeah. I think if, if you it, talk to them, though, they'd be like, you can't walk up and freaking slap someone in the face I think over he, fantasy football. I understand that, but at the same time, people attacking him, you're going to get your boys back. And that's basically what yeah. he did. All I did was quote the AP story and put Tommy Pham former Durango high school standout. Right. And they said, your point is, and I said, my point is, is that local. When, if the, if the review journal or the sun right. picks up that story, they're going to add into the story, former Durango high, not just Cincinnati red, Tommy fam. That's just, that's, that's local journalism. That's, there's nothing sensationalizing it. It's local. He's an intense guy. He is very intense. And he's always been that way. Yes. He, he was intense. I mean, my son, when he trained at that facility, he was still playing baseball. He remembers, and Tommy just – he was not a social guy, but yeah. he also had a rough upbringing where he wasn't – people weren't kind to him, so he wasn't kind. Same time, Shane Victorino trained at that facility, and he loved all the kids, signed, and gave bats. Gave bats to the kids when he was a Philly. So, I mean, it's it, – it's you know, it is what it is. You just kind of know that people are – you know, I mean, first time you walk by me, you just kind of laugh. I did it. I, I scoffed at you. I was like, yes. who, who the hell is this guy <laughs> taking up my seat? And it wasn't even my seat. I was just in one of those moods. I am kind of Tommy family, like minus the muscles and the ability to slap other baseball players in the face. Well, he just the slapped the home run. So. Um, all right, well, good for him. Could, could Jock Peterson – I was I was making the segue. Could Jock Peterson extend an olive branch and give Tommy Pham a donut? And would Tommy be happy or would Tommy be like, get the blank out of my face with a donut? You ready for this segue? Not really a segue. We're going to double segue. You're going to segue in a different It's direction. not even a segue, but are you ready for this? Maybe not. It's National Donut Day, but maybe how about a donut? The 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 donut weight, the bat the bat donut. You know, 
that's not bad. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah. He's very into, he's very into lifting and being in shape and you know getting the, the the smacking arm ready to go. Yeah. Did you have a donut today? I did not. I um, in spite of being uh, quite chubby and uh, and not eating healthy, I don't have enough donuts. I'll admit that. I should eat more donuts because I love them. One of my favorite lines from Do you have to be hungry? Do you think you have to be hungry to eat a donut? No, never. No. And that's the problem with donuts. You don't have. There's Honestly. two. There, there are two foods, in my opinion. If someone offers you a, one of these things, you do not need to be hungry. One is a donut, and one is a slice of pizza. At any given time, it, you could, you by could, the way, is it only two things? Because I think I have a lot more items than just. <laughs> well, I'm just two saying off the top. You don't have to be hungry me, to eat these things. For me, for me, for me, someone says, "No, it's good. I already ate." What does that mean? Eat the donut. Have a donut. Oh, that's a terrible excuse. Just for one donut? I already ate? That's, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's, Why are you letting that stop you? Yeah, no. Have a donut. Now, what's your go-to donut? You know, believe it or not, I'm I'm kind of playing on the donuts. So, the old-fashioned donut is the one that uh, you can get at Dunkin' Donuts, sure. which has nothing on it. But then I, I also saw um, a couple of New York jabronis growing back and forth, trying to, you know, you people just try to bait you with their food takes, yeah. saying that sprinkles are a waste. I, you can sprinkle, you can sprinkle anything and I'm going to eat sprinkles. So I'm, I'm, I'm pro sprinkles. I'm not, I'd never have been, I'll do a Boston cream. No. Um, but I've, I was never a jelly donut guy. And I know gel, jellies will go like that. I was never a jelly donut. And here's the other thing. Um, unfortunately, I think I've been scarred by the office experience of radio stations. Um, it's very nice when, People will bring in donuts, sometimes advertisers, sponsors. And we always had an issue with Lotus Broadcasting. Uh, people would drop off a bunch of boxes of donuts. And it kind of goes back to your whole thing like, oh, no, I ate. I can't have a donut. So instead, people are like, well, you know, maybe I'll have a half. And these sons of bitches who cut donuts in half, I, I don't know. I'm like, well, like, I, like the community donut thing now, I think I have a problem with. Because okay, well, I don't know who's touched them. I don't know. You know, someone licked them. I don't know if they poked it to see if there's cream in it. Just if... If there's a box of donuts, just grab a clean. Just pull it out. Hopefully, there's a little paper there. Pull it out and don't touch the other whatever. If you don't finish it, then throw it away. Throw it away. Don't yeah. cut a donut. Now, it, I mean, this is in your house. Here's the thing. If it, if, listen, if it's at home, you know, you want to, you, you and Kahlua are going to split a donut. Your son comes over. <laughs> that's fine. Me and the SO, we're going to split a donut. Okay. I only work with you. Well, let's just. I don't, I, well, I don't want half. You're cutting a gel. Imagine a jelly donut in half, and then all the stuff. Come on, spitting all over the place. Let's just let's just make it make sure we're clear. But long story short, if Jordan I love and I are donuts. splitting a donut. It's going to be on leg day. That's number one. Leg number two, <laughs> I'm always going with the chocolate bar. It's got to be, but no Those nothing inside. Nothing inside. Um, I am an original. I wish there were more Winchells in town. Remember the Winchells? Yeah, of course. Got to have Win. I, I'm like, like like the Canadians, like the Tim Hortons. I'm a Winchells guy, and I remember going to Fremont Junior High School down on St. Louis Avenue, which was by the old Gorman, and Mom would take me once a week at least. That was always a treat. Uh, that was a big thing. All the kids did it. Um, donut holes when they first came out. Oh well, I mean the. The Munchkins, and I keep shouting out Dunkin' Donuts, but the Munchkins are those are unbelievable. Sure. I went to physical great. therapy today, and they've been taking, as you know, you know, we've been chronicling, of course, my just like we'd be chronicling anybody. Robin Leonard's recovery, sure. my recovery. Yesterday was six weeks. You just see, you but, see, you work in the, you see, you work in the leg, work in the knee. There's sure. a, there's a donut on the other knee. You're just looking at it as motivation, like when I'm done, I can have this donut. <laughs> so I, uh, I, I called ahead 
at, just as I was driving down there because today was not a treatment day and they let me come in and do, you know, get my workouts in and, and then hook up the stimuli. So I called ahead and spoke to Devin at the front desk. And I said, look, it's National Donut Day. Has anyone brought anything in? She said, wow, Matt brought up donuts today. I didn't know it was National Day. I said, I got you. And I picked them up a dozen donuts. Very nice. Yeah. Very nice. Can I make a TV recommendation? Sure. And everyone should watch this on National Donut Day. Mm. And it's a roller coaster ride. Watch the Donut King. Okay. 2020 documentary. And it's about the Cambodian donut rush in California. So you mentioned Winchell's. There was a guy who came over from Cambodia in the 70s. Okay. Learned how to make the donuts and learned the donut trade at Winchell's. Went out on his own. Like, you know, really didn't understand English and he built this empire of donuts in California to the point where, and they also made it sort of a family deal an extended family deal where if you, if you go to California, there are freaking donuts. I mean, we have a lot of donut shops here. California has so many donut shops in Southern California, the hundreds and hundreds of donut shops, 80% are, are Cambodian owned. Oh, wow. Because of this guy. Yep. I'm going to check it out. But like I said, it's a roller coaster ride and it has a Vegas tie in it too. I'm telling you, it's it is one of the best like 20 documentaries of the last couple of years. It's great, awesome. Let me ask you this: Are you it, two two part question? Are you into? And I'm going to give a recommendation to watch a, a, a good movie if you if you're a donut. Is it about it's about donuts in a sense. Okay, is it uh, Fatso? No. Okay, because they like the it, jelly donuts and Fatso. Do you want me to do the movie were... first, or do you want me to ask you Oof. the two part question? Two part question. Okay, so number one, you in the SO, or you just in your lifetime? You've been to Portland. Long time ago, yes. So, are you into the disease? Have you been to Voodoo? I haven't, but I would do it. I've been to Portland. Yeah. I went to the Voodoo, and I would go to Voodoo again if I was up there. But to go there regularly, I just as soon get regular old donuts. I'm right, not right, into right. the design. I can do it a couple times a year. Yeah. I'm Unless sure. you put bacon all over all the donuts, and then I'm in. Stop it. How about I went to a Sacramento River Cat game. This was the first time I ever saw this. I was yeah. up there for a, a, a wrestling trip when Jordan was wrestling for Arborview. And we went to a River Cats game. And it was the first time I'd ever seen where glazed donuts being used as the bun for the burger. That was kind of cool. The sweet and salty kind of combo. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. new team there's new coaches there's new scouts there's a new staff like i said i know a lot of guys from the staff but i don't want to go in front of these guys and say hey you know what i can do you saw me a few years ago 2019 i had 19 sacks i mean what have you done for me lately and what can you do for me now and i know that i understand that so i take pride in my work and i, I come to work every day with a smile on my face but also to perfect my craft it's time for former Oakland Raider and NFL insider Stanford Route on Cofield and Company. Let's do it on a Friday. Willie's here. It's Cofield. Stanford Route is with us. That was the voice of Chandler Jones talking about having to prove himself with a new group of guys in the Raiders. Stanford, how you doing, buddy? Pretty good. Pretty good. Happy to be back on with you guys, man. Let's talk about the importance of OTAs, especially with a new coaching staff. Okay. <laughs> Fire away. How important is it? Because I, I, I don't know if I don't know if the attitude on OTAs has changed over the years where, you know, now it's and especially in a case like this where you've got new coaches where it almost feels mandatory when it's not mandatory. Well, yeah, I mean, well, and no matter what, whether you got a new coach or an old coach or whatever, uh OTAs is always going to be 
voluntarily mandatory if you guys catch what i'm saying but it would behoove you as a newer player to go ahead and try to go ahead and gel with your new teammates to go ahead and understand the scheme understand exactly what the coaches are going to be asking of you that way whenever you get to training camp and then the regular season you're able to hit the ground running and you're not going to have those goofs you're not going to have those gaffes or what have you where you're not really understanding the terminology you're not understanding the philosophy and all the objective objectivity behind that coach's specific scheme because whenever you're on a new team or just whenever you're on a on, on your current team and a new coach comes in you got to make sure that you're on the same page that way you can go ahead and hit the ground running seamlessly in week one how big a change do you think it is for Chandler Jones and Max Crosby if they're going to be playing a lot more three four now oh it 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 is surprising and I didn't realize this until I moved from the obviously Oakland Raiders to the Kansas City Chiefs going from that to that three four scheme and it's because just the objectivity the objective your responsibility is different and I'll go ahead and say this the difference between being a four three defensive end and then being a three four defensive end or should I say an outside rush linebacker it is a huge difference because being a three four defensive end is almost kind of like being a D tackle in a four three scheme where now you're too gappy where you don't exactly have to set the edge that's the outside backer who's going to be setting the edge so for this three four scheme obviously I think a Chandler Jones he's going to be playing outside backer Max Crosby he might be playing more of that three four type of defensive end so it is an adjustment period as far as understanding what your responsibilities are and now you're going to be after going against probably more double teams being playing more in the interior part of the D line whereas you're going against the guard and the tackles versus just being an edge rusher on the defensive end out of a four three package where you're specifically just going against the uh, the uh, uh, the left tackle, the right tackle. Stanford, and you know, picking up where you talking about the importance of OTAs, and you talk about guys like Chandler Jones. I was really impressed in what I heard from Max Crosby last week, and what I heard from Chandler Jones this week. And Max was saying, you know, he, here's this this veteran that comes in, 100 plus sacks, and he wants to learn from him. But Chandler comes in and he's asking questions to Max Crosby. You guys, you got veterans like Chandler Jones, Devonte Adams. It's got to for the younger guys to see those guys buying in and trying to still be students of the game with the new coaching staff because they got to follow by example correct oh no doubt about it it's paramount anytime you have somebody like a a caliber of a Chandler Jones and on the offensive side of the ball a Devontae Adams two proven guys within this league that have been to their number of pro bowls and all pros and things like that and obviously Chandler Jones being a Super Bowl champion going back to his New England Patriot days that is something that is so grand because if I'm a young player that just got drafted about a little over a month ago and I'm coming in and I'm seeing these guys who have these huge exorbitant large exorbitant salary contracts with them still being the student of the game not walking in the door knowing that they're going to make the team they know they're going to be on the roster this year but still having that hard hat that lunch pail type of mentality it is something that's going to permeate especially to the younger guys and like you just said it's setting an example and setting a precedent for how things are going to be ran what the culture is going to be like for this black and silver going forward did you always attend all the summer otas 
Yes, I always attended the summer OTAs. Now, the off-season workouts where you're just running and lifting, uh, there's a few times where I just simply miss my flight uh, from Houston going back to the Bay Area. But anytime it's OTAs, you're still actually out there playing football. As a corner, you're out there covering receivers. As offensive line, defensive line, you're still going against each other. Obviously, with the rules in play now in, in the off-season, there's not as much contact. But for quarterbacks, you're still throwing to receivers. Receivers, you're still catching the ball. Running back, you're still getting handed the ball off whenever you're, it's offensive versus defense or anything like that. So for OTAs, guys will voluntarily go to that a little bit more than they will the off-season workouts because you're actually doing football drills. You're out there wearing cleats, things like that. But whenever it's just the running and lifting, there's a few, uh, there's a few guys that you may have to pull teeth a little bit more to get them to go to. Stanford, is there a difference between the OTAs and next week there'll be mandatory the three-day mandatory minicamp? Is there a difference or is it basically the same thing? It's basically the same thing. Uh, with the mandatory minicamp, that's just the way for the coaches. That way they have to make you, like, you know, mandatory. They can actually find you if you don't show up. But as far as anything that's going to transpire during the mandatory minicamp, all of that same thing is going to transpire during the OTAs. Now, during the mandatory minicamp, you may be up at the facility a little bit longer, maybe on into the early into the early evening, the later afternoon, depending on whatever type of schedule you have, depending on what type of coach you have. You'll be in meetings a little bit longer and things like that. But there's nothing you're going to be doing in a mandatory minicamp that you won't be doing in OTAs. But with the mandatory minicamp. That is just implemented for coaches. That is implemented for GMs. That way you mandatorily have to be here. And if you don't, I can find you, what is it, 25000 a day, 30000 a day, or you know some weird number like that. But there's nothing you're going to be doing during the mandatory minicamp that you will not be doing this week in OTAs. No, it will not. Stanford Route is with us. So back to the beginning of the conversation, you know, the, the coaching staff change. I, I think your perspective on this is pretty interesting because I think if I'm correct, you had three straight years when you went from Norv Turner as a head coach to Art Shell to Lane Kiffin, who's completely different. But then the, the crazy thing is for you, wasn't Rob Ryan the DC the entire time? Yes, he was the DC the entire time, and that's pretty much how Al uh, wanted everything. Where he's going to pick a coach, and that coach already knows, hey, this is going to be your DC. Go ahead and shake his hand. I don't really care how you feel about it. He's going to be my guy, and you just got to go ahead and suck it up and accept it. So that was something that was a constant for us throughout my first five years was Rob Ryan being our defense coordinator simply because Al had a certain way that he wanted us to play defense. He wanted it to be a 4-3 defense. He wanted to play pr uh, primarily man coverage and things like that. So yeah, that was something that it was a little bit odd because usually when a head coach comes in, the belief is he can bring in his own staff and he can go ahead and do things as he pleases. But with right. Al Davis, God rest his soul, that uh, obviously was not something that he believed in. He's the owner. I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to sign you. I'm going to hire you as the head coach, but I'm going to still have my hand. I'm going to have my fingerprint on the complexity or just, should I say, the makeup of this coaching staff and this organization. Were any of those head coaches I just named, Norv, Archell, or Lane Kiffin, hands-on at all with the defense? Like, Did you deal with them at all? 
no, didn't really deal with them much at all. Like I said, Archell is a, was a Hall of Fame offensive tackle, so offensive-minded, clearly. You got Lane Kiffin. He's an offensive-minded guy. And then Norv Turner, one of the best to ever do it, one of the one of the most creative play callers that this game has ever seen. So pretty much for the most part, Al was going to hire his head coach who's going to be more offensive-minded because Al and the defensive coordinator at the time it was Rob Ryan – they would be the brain trust for the defensive side of the ball. I need to hire me a head coach who's going to handle the offensive side of the ball, and then we meet in the middle. Did you think Lane Kiffin was going to go on to be a great coach? Did you think he was an NFL coach or a college coach? I always thought that Lane was a little bit more geared toward college because whenever Lane left USC to take the head coaching job for the Oakland Raiders at the time, Lane Kiffin's ultimate goal was to coach at USC, be the head coach, take over for Pete Carroll. But him taking the Oakland Raiders job as the head coach put him in a different tax bracket. It put him in a different stratosphere where now he is only going to be considered for head or offensive coordinator type of positions. Because remember, he was the receivers coach at USC when he became our head coach. That's number one. So Lane always wanted to be in college. And I felt like he was better suited for it because whenever you coach in the NFL, whether it is a head coach, a coordinator, a position coach, what have you, you have to be able to lead men. You have to be able to take men who are anywhere from age 21 to potentially maybe 35, 36 if they're in their later years and convince them to follow you, convince them to listen to you, convince them to take your coaching. And you're not going to be able to do it by fear. In college, it's very easy. Hey, if you don't do what I say, I'm going to bench you. I'm going to take your scholarship away. Well, guess what? In the NFL, you call your coaches by their first name. You don't call them Coach Kiffin. You don't call them Coach Saban. You call them Nick or you call them Lane. That's what you call them in the NFL. I don't keep even I don't care if it's even the, the New England Patriots. You call Bill Belichick, you call him by Bill. You don't call him Coach Belichick. And it just goes to show we're more so on the same plane right now in the NFL. We're equals. It's not it's, it's not exactly subordinate, superior like it is in the co in the collegiate ranks. And that right there, because Lane is not was not able to operate off of fear. That's why I felt Lane was always better suited for the collegiate game. I'll give you guys one quick story. I remember back uh, in my days in Oakland, and there was a year where I actually wanted to be traded. There's a year that uh, I didn't want to be there anymore, and I wanted to be traded. And there were times where and I, and I cleared it with Al that I would not be at, at off-season workouts, and I didn't show up to off-season workouts. And, you know, back then at the time, if you don't show up to off-season workouts, usually the coach will call you and ask, well, hey, uh, why aren't you out here? And I remember one time Lane called me, he and he uh, he asked me why I wasn't out there. And I told him, I said, you know, I already cleared with Al. I'm out here working out in Texas, things like that. And I remember Lane was like, oh, well, you know, Al doesn't run anything around here. Well, you need to go ahead and be here because I want you to be here. And I said, Lane, listen, I said, there's a lot of people on this planet. A lot of people have different interests, things like that. I said, but there's a few things that are constant on planet Earth. And one thing that everybody knows is that Al Davis runs the show. So I already cleared it with Al Davis. He runs everything. So as long as I cleared it with him, what you think really, really doesn't mean a hell of beans to me. And, you know, pretty much uh, that's how the conversation went. And I hung up and that was that. Stanford, um, is it just myself and the other 
dozen or so reporters that are out there for every OTA media availability that are going nuts over the rotations of where everybody's being positioned on the offensive line in June, given that Josh McDaniels came in after the draft and said, no position is safe. We're going to try everybody out everywhere. People are going to be rotated. We got, there's a long way to go before, or should we be paying attention right now in June? Uh, I think you probably can go ahead and take it with a grain of salt. I do believe that coaches already have in their mind their early predictions. They got their early projections on where their depth chart is going to fall in order, where the guys are going to be, who's going to be here in the fall, who may be here in the fall, who's going to be on the fence, things like that. But I think also at the same time, you got a lot of coaches that they just want to try things out. Let's see how Devontae Adams looks in the slot. Let's see how maybe a Hunter Renfro looks maybe playing X or Z outside. Let's go ahead and take a look and see exactly if this guy that we drafted in the second or third round, let's go ahead and take a look at him with the starters. Maybe he might go ahead and turn out to be a diamond in the rough things like that so you're gonna always have guys plugging you know certain guys you're gonna have the mismatches the mix and match and things like that so you can take it with a grain of salt but at the end of the day whenever those coaches go into the offices whenever they have their staff meetings they already have a pretty good idea of who their starting 11 is going to be on the offense defense side of the ball but it's the offseason this is the time to go ahead and mix and match and maybe try to experiment because who knows you might stumble upon something that you know that right guard he may actually be the best left tackle on the team so you know what <laughs> He might go ahead and be our starting left tackle when the season starts. So it's something that you can go ahead and maybe glance at, but you don't have to go ahead and make a big story about it, make a big deal, because coaches already have a very good idea of who they're going to be going to war with come September. Stanford, awesome, as always. We appreciate it. You have a good weekend. You guys be good, man. Be safe. I'll talk to you next week. There he is. Stanford route. Former defensive back with the uh, Raiders from 2005 to 2011. It is amazing, the upheaval with the coaching staff during his time on the team that was like it's crazy he, he comes in the league north turner and it was always an offensive guy yeah you know running the squad mm -hmm. but you go from i mean think about those personalities norv to art shell to freaking lane kiffin it was like you know 18 at the point at that point he was older than that but you know mid-30s you grew up really quick <laughs> you learned how to you learned how to deal with well you learn from that experience and then also you know burning different schools and being a hated figure and then basically yeah. being sent off into the freaking hinterlands and having to rebuild his career at what florida atlantic and now he's a hot shot again at Ole miss and i get the feeling because um there were some schools that made a run at him that he may be at Ole miss for a while because he can kind of control everything there and expectations are high but they're not ridiculous right like i think Ole miss fans will be happy if they can knock off you know, the traditional beast of the SEC every once in a while and, you know, maybe get to eight, nine wins. But places like Tennessee, which are not easy to win, you know, USC, I think they can win there. I think they're going to win under Lincoln Riley, but the expectations are through the roof. So he may have found his spot now. Yeah, no, there's no doubt that I think it's tougher than it was, obviously, during the Fulmer days. Um, to, to A lot tougher. The competition is much competition better. Is bigger. I mean, you know. Uh, competition's now big between a couple of coaches um, that want to. And Alabama wasn't a superpower at that point. They, you know, when our buddy Mark McMillan was there, um, early '90s, you know, they were they were good under Gene Stallings, and then they had you know a little bit of a dip. And that's generally what happens when you see when you see non traditional, you know, like beast of a conference step up and have 
you know, some winning ways like, you know, Tennessee did. Right. right? And obviously Peyton Manning well, was a big part of that and T Martin as well. You'll also look back and look at the conference and go, oh, you know, Bama wasn't freaking awesome at that point. Well, well no. that, that, that left the opening there. And it's also why in the Big 12, you've seen, you know, recently you've seen a lot of programs kind of Iowa State, a little underwhelming last year, but, you know, the year before that, they were really good. And you start looking around, you're like, well, Texas was down. Same thing. I mean, a lot of the window for Oregon to rise to where they did was because USC and UCLA weren't playing, you know, traditional high-level football. On the way back, we got to get to the uh, Fat Pack. More National Donut Day? Mm, Maybe not. Uh, Do we have to get some commentary off a, a TV broadcast? And do we annihilate? Jim Cott, who's an older broadcaster, what happened here? Uh, Not exactly the best nickname for a Yankee pitcher. More of Cofield and Company is on the way, live in the Finley Toyota Studios. That's a nice muscly throwing arm you got there. Got a nice tip for you right here in my pocket. That favorite pitcher being kind of like Devin Smeltzer, Nestor the Molester, Nestor Cortez. Man, he is fun to watch. I'm looking for a car that's been tricked out to look like an ice cream truck with colorful pictures of ice cream treats. And it plays a tune that's fun for the young children. Da, 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 da. Da, 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 da. <sighs> You're listening to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Boy, oh boy, all rules are off for the uh, Vast Sound crew on Fridays. The uh, middle of that, of course, was uh, Jim Cott, who is broadcasting now with the Twins. He was a longtime analyst for... The Yankees, I think it was last year that he made a slave reference. And then this one with the Nestor, the molester, which um, doesn't go over well now. I guess unless you're doing Herbert the pervert. I, I don't know. I'm confused you on on what is comedy and what is not. So uh, you, know you, you had you actually you saw a message from. Nestor Cortez, yeah, he tweeted who caught called Nestor the molester, and he was uh, very much forgiving, right? Had his back. Yeah, he tweeted. He said, hey, everybody, Jim Cott has spent an entire lifetime in this game we love. We reached out to me. He reached out to me and apologized for his remark last night, but he didn't need to. We all make mistakes and feel 100%. There was no malice intended. I plan on lifting him up with this tweet, and I hope others do too. No sweat here, Jim. It's funny, Steve, about – not funny, but the times that we're living in, I had an issue with – a story, the story I wrote on Lexi Brown, D. Brown's daughter, um, it was regarding my lead, and I called a couple of people that I respect in the industry to get their opinion. Um, three people, one male, two female, because of the vernacular that I used. One example there. Um, and the other was, I believe, where we have something on deck that we're going to be talking about with Chandler Jones, but I was gathering my question together to bring something up, and... When I contacted someone from the same town that he's from, she sent, I was like, hey, remind me real quick about, aside from the festival, what else is, and she mentioned some things, and I thought to myself, I better be careful how I word this. And in upstate, or western New York, actually, it's not considered upstate, but in Binghamton, New York, there are a lot of orchards, and a big part of that is in season, you go picking 
blueberries and apples. And they have these country stores with these fantastic breakfasts. There's this one place called Apple Hills that is just out of the world. Best country breakfast place. Anyway, I had to be careful when I brought up to Chandler, hey, besides this festival, I said orchard parks instead of orchard picking because I didn't want that word to be out there. Oh, boy. Well, yeah, you have yeah. to think. Yeah. People make mistakes, so I'm glad Nestor Cortez backed up Jim Codd, who was just being a, a dope on the air the other day. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield & Co. It's Cofield & Company's eye on sports gambling. I'm going to kill your bookmaker. I'm going to rip his throat out. I will step on his throat until the man chokes. Let me tell you how. Winners, 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 winners. Free, 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 free. Rolling towards the 5 o'clock hour, Willie Ramirez is here as the company, it's Cofield. We're going to track down a former Raiders quarterback who has a lot of familiarity with Derek Carr. It's Matt McGloin in the 5 o'clock hours. We're live at the uh, Battleborn Broadcast Center. So last night, Warriors fall apart in the fourth. Did yeah, they? instead of instead of taking that approach, which I think everyone else has taken today, how about we also give credit to the Celtics for just catching fire from three, going nine of twelve from three, having a guy like Horford go crazy, and also defending, defending really well, and basically shutting down everyone else and making it look like amateur hour, as only Steph Curry is a guy who could get off decent shots, and everyone else was freaking blanketed. So, you know, we always exchange notes in the morning about what we might talk about on the show, a lot of story ideas. And Willie sends over kind of one of those notes about patting himself on the back. Like, hey, on Wednesday, you know, I told you this might happen. And I was like, well, you probably should have listened Thursday before the game because JVT was on with myself and and Judge Dan. And we gave our picks. So let's remind people here. And again, the series isn't over, but I just found it funny where you're like, I was the one who said the Warriors. Celtics series plus 130, Celtics and six plus 475. Uh, is that what you got? So I got, um, uh, I did bet the Celtics to win in five at plus 900. Ooh. Um, and Ooh. On, top of the, yeah, on top of the future that I've already got. And by the way, Willie was touting this morning that he was the one who said the Celtics could win the series. And then um, I hadn't heard that. And uh, then yesterday, JVT and I were talking about them winning in five or six. And I think the, the rationale was the same from all of us, Willie, that the Warriors are good. They've got some legendary players. But going into this series, we don't know exactly what the Warriors are because, and this has happened in NBA playoffs before, it seems like the Warriors hit a series and then all of a sudden that team is either shorthanded or the Warriors go out like they did with John Morant and take him out, Right which I still believe they took him out. Um, right now, the Celtics, because Robert Williams and Marcus Smart aren't having health issues like they were at the beginning of the playoffs, the Celtics are the best team they've played with a full complement of players to go out there and play defense. So is that why you liked the Celtics coming in? No, and first of all, the topics that I sent over, mine said, tried to tell you on Wednesday the Boston Celtics were come out swinging. He picked them to win in six. There's nowhere in that sentence does it say only, Stephen. So. 
you just got done saying that Willie sent over topics and he tried to say he was the only one. I never said I was the only one. I just was. It's a good point. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. You embellisher. Uh, no, and I brought it up earlier when we had uh, former Boston Celtic D. Brown on. I was just impressed when I was going back and analyzing the numbers as to how far back Boston had really sort of, you know, put its put its game on in in gear and and to how it closed the season. How far back was it? Was it since April? Was it since March? Was it how far back? And I look back, and since January 23rd, it was the best team in basketball. Realistically, 28 and 7 was the best winning percentage. It was the only team with the winning percentage 800 or higher. Number one. Number two was how well it, you know, we talk about the defense. You talk, you, we keep talking about Boston's defense, but this was an offense that averaged 117 and a couple of decimal points on offense, and it was holding teams to 101. It was outscoring teams by 15 or so, 16 points to close the season and not just over the last couple of weeks or the last month, but since since 35 games came, comes into the postseason, goes into the NBA finals and it's allowing 102 points or 101 points going into the NBA finals. So it's, it's never really lost a beat. Did the offense decline or are you in the playoffs now? And they're going to, there's other, you're, you're going up against the best of the best. The other thing that I thought of or that I wrote about, for some sports betting uh, sites, was that I felt that Boston overcame some better competition. Yes, they swept Brooklyn. That was having obviously Kyrie issues, and and we, we, after the season, we hear how you know his mindset. But you're still going up against a guy who a lot of people consider to be the best player on the planet right now in Kevin Durant. Then you knock off the defending champs and Giannis, who some may say is the second best player on the planet. No disrespect to LeBron. And then you go through would, a run series. By the way, I would flip it. I think Giannis is the best player in the world. Okay, so then he then they still beat the best player in the world. They might have the beat two. They might have beat one and two. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And then they beat Miami. That's not to take away what Golden State did, but Boston has been playing impressive since late January, and I felt that they're not just going to come in and get intimidated by yes, a team that has the three the core players from the championship. But as we saw last night, that supporting cast doesn't have championship experience. Other than Iguodala, which he's hasn't seen playing time, so that's why I like the Celtics. We're agreeing too much on this show right now. I mean, Adam Hill's got a stupid bit with uh, you know that he's a war- that he's a Warriors fan because there's something else that you wanted to hit today on the National Football League, and that was Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. And I swear, two Tuesdays ago, I laid out a whole thing. It was actually Candy, Miles Simmons, and I. We were talking about the Ravens. And I think the Ravens are vastly underrated. They lost a bunch of close games last year. Some of those analytics moves that Harbaugh, you know, went by his book with, they came up short on. So they lost some close games that way. Lamar Jackson wasn't healthy much of the year. Their offensive line was beat up. Their defense is now loaded up with arguably the best collection of defensive backs. And they're still not the favorite in the AFC North. The Browns are a slight favorite. I think it's Browns 180. Bengals plus 200, and Ravens are plus 210. And I think the Ravens are the most rock-solid team because I think the Bengals will drop back a little bit, and I have no idea what's going to happen here with Deshaun Watson and how it plays out with Baker Mayfield. So you on the, you're on the Ravens too. I have confession time. Uh-oh. What? I heard the interview with Miles. I heard that whole conversation. Yeah. <laughs> it drew me into reading about 
Because uh, yeah. I, I saw a story. See, people learning stuff from the I, show. I told you. Getting ideas. I, I told you how I'll pick up the phone at 3.30 in the morning and open up Google Chrome, a blank page, and it gives me all these suggested stories based off my history. And there was a story. It just says, how Ravens is Lamar Jackson. Actually, the story that I went to read was how Ravens is Lamar Jackson can return to MVP form as a passer. And I wanted to read that because I was really impressed, even in Baltimore's loss last year on Monday Night Football here at Allegiant Stadium. And I went back and, you know, he was at the presser, obviously. And so I added that sentence, Willie likes Baltimore's chances to dominate the AFC North because I agreed with everything that you guys had to say. So that was it was a very good conversation from the other day um with when you had miles on and it made a, a ton of sense and then i am a lamar jackson fan so am i yeah so that that was why i added that that end to that sentence but yes, way, you it know it makes 100 said everything you guys said the other thing i didn't mention with the Ravens season a year ago is remember how ridiculous it got with the running backs like yeah. everyone went down jk dobbins is supposed to be the guy and then he goes down before he can even get started they well, were injury plagued you know now now they're going to get some of these running backs back, you know, they can get back to that form of being not only a number one rushing team in the league, but like dominant, yeah. big number uh, rushing team, you know, number one rushing team in the league. So I'm going to ask the question, but I know what we're doing because we do cover hockey on this show. I think you were listening to some morning radio today and no, something yesterday, yesterday and something irked you about our national morning show. Um, as they got into the NHL a little bit, because I guess one of the guys had gone to a game so far this. May have been the best sports environment that I've ever been to. Playoff I had about five cool. heart attacks. I had anxiety. It was like the roller coaster ride. The amount of knowledge I had last night from going to a game, I want to start talking about hockey some more. We, we should do it. Well, I'll go to a game with you, no question. I'm just saying, Keith and I will be over here talking NFL. <laughs> Why don't we get or a NBA or Major League Baseball? We can talk that too. I'm just saying, we can go. You can go to a game, Max. So Jay Williams makes his pitch because he went to a Rangers game. He First makes time. his pitch, which is funny. Yeah. I wonder if he'd ever been to a hockey game before. No, he, he is. Said he didn't. Really? Yeah. He's actually a Jersey guy. It was a long talk. So he's, uh, in, so he's in an area with three hockey teams. Yeah. He just he said he'd been. That was the first time, and obviously it was East, game one of the Eastern Conference Finals. Against the defending two-time defending Stanley Cup champs, yeah. the Rangers put six up on on Andre Vasilevsky, one of the great, arguably the greatest goalie in the world. Even yeah. though the Rangers goaltender is going to win the Vesna, and he was he couldn't stop talking about yeah, it. Rangers fans are nuts. It's a great environment. Yeah, they're dying to win. If you've never been to a live hockey game, they're cool. You, they're it's, cool. It's and that's a legendary building. So uh, so then you hear Max fire back. Well, I mean, Max has already given his take. On hockey, he gave it a couple of years ago. He said basically there's you know 40,000 hockey fans in every single market, and that's where it ends. So he's not a fan of talking too much hockey on Sports Talk Radio. And he is right um, that NFL is king. Um, here's the other thing. If, I mean, listen, I'm, I'll judge my own limitations on you know what I'm good at and what I'm just okay at, and then I lean on other experts on the show. Yeah. Um, if Max and Keyshawn don't want to talk hockey, what's the point? Keyshawn, I, honestly, I, there are times I, I listen to Keyshawn in the NFL and I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. And that's your sport. So, you, like, if you're Jay Williams, do you – like, I, I wonder – Does I, I don't listen to the show enough because it's so early and I know you're an early morning guy. Yeah. Like, I wonder how much Jay Williams tries to bring up college basketball. Like, I don't know if those two guys know college basketball. So, there's – like, on every show, spot or sweet spots. Right. But, so, you yeah. want to make the argument here that, that Max is an idiot and – on their national morning show, they better be talking more hockey? No. Well, it, it doesn't have to dominate, but I'll give you an example. This morning on their show, 
they ran the same segment in different hours. It was pre-recorded. So, I mean, out of a four-hour show from 3 to 7, and I'm usually up between 3.30 and 4, and I'll jump online and do some work or if I'm going to do some fast cardio, but I'm listening throughout the morning until our morning guys come on and I listen to that show if, if I'm around. So, it's sports talk. You're, you're pitched as a sports talk. You're not in it. Otherwise, change the name and say that your format's just going to – it's the same thing on TV with Stephen A. or when Skip was opposite him before he left for an different network. All they talk about is the NBA. They could have a Lebr- Lebron. They could talk about LeBron for two hours, and that's fine. But it's sports. 